Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Hockey News on the E! Podcast. I'm Jacob Stoller from the Hockey News, alongside virtually Justin Cohn from the Fort Wayne Journal-Gazette. And we're pleased to welcome Jason Payne to the show today, the Cincinnati Cyclones head coach and also director of Hockey Ops um, for the ECHL affiliate of Buffalo and Rochester. Uh, before being named the head coach of Cincinnati, head of the 2021-22 season, Payne set, spent two seasons as assistant coach for Cincinnati after spending several years as a coach and GM in the OJHL and a skills coach in the OHL. Jason was also a player himself, combining for over 200 games in the AHL and ECHL. Without further ado, welcome to the show, Jason. How you doing? Good. Uh, it's a nice lead up there. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, no problem. No problem. Did I get it all right? We usually, we're like at 95% conversion rate with those usually. Yeah, you, you got most of it right. A lot of times when people throw my name out there, they like to throw the Pelly Minute record in there, so I don't. But it's good. We're getting to that. Oh, you ruined it. People know I at least had some skill. I at least had some skill there somewhere. So. Oh, absolutely. Hey, so I always wondered this with players that become coaches and managers. Um, what was the the moment, whether it was during your career that you were playing or after, that you kind of realized that this was something that interested you after your playing days? I think it was more, I guess, while I was playing, you know, the roles that I played, you don't, I don't get like tons of ice though. You know, the guys back then, especially power forwards slash fighters, you didn't get a lot of ice. So you, the ice that you did get, you had to make the best of. And uh, to, to last in the game, you had to make sure that your skills were, I guess, up to par, up to snuff. And, you know, you have to get, keep getting better every day, every year. Um, you know, for the length of my career I had, I think the fact that I was able to continue my skating and my developing my skills to, be able to get by, um, I think, was was where it all started. And, again, just giving back to the – I started wanting to give back to the community, uh, and I guess the younger kids coming up in the, in the hockey world, uh, especially back in Toronto where I came from, where there was nobody really that looked like us that was able to give back. Uh, you know, the, the Kevin Weeks, the Anson Carters, the, there was a few of us around, and even before that, uh, the Graham Townsends. But, again, there was no one – no one had a hockey school, really. Nobody was really giving back to the kids, and I wanted to give back. And all the lessons and stuff that I learned throughout my playing career and even the summers I took off uh, doing power skating. I mean, there's there's a bunch of summers that I took off to go and uh, spend a whole summer in Boston, living in Boston with uh, Paul Vincent and uh, worked on my skating skills there uh, as the Graham Townsend. So there was that connection there as well. Um, but just being able to give that back, what I learned through that and through all my playing years to to all these young and up-and-coming players. You know, when you're a coach and GM in the OJHL, you're wearing a lot of hats. It's kind of similar to what you're doing now. How did that experience really help you transition to this current role? It's everything you do in hockey is going to help you. Um, and it's, right. I guess it's what you learn from it. And uh, in the OJ, yeah, you definitely wore a lot of hats. I was, uh, I guess, assistant coach, head coach, general manager. Uh, so just being able to learn all the, if you want to say, the, the nuances or the different uh, types sure. of roles that are, that's expected of you. Um, it, Everything, a lot of things are new. A lot of things are new at times. And it's a matter of you picking up and how fast you can pick up on it and then how fast you can master it. Uh, again, for me, you would be based back on my playing career. Uh, nothing was ever given to me. I had to work and earn everything I got. And nothing was for certain. Nothing was for sure. Uh, you know, going into every year, it's not like I had a contract that uh, I have a five-year contract and it's guaranteed. Like every year it was a new contract for me. So right. every year you're learning something new. You're doing something new. So just being able to adapt and adjust, I think that from my playing career, that's been able to help me uh, adapt and adjust to the coaching side of things too. And uh, everybody asks me, is like, well, what do you think? I said, well, I know how hard I worked at playing. I know it's going to be even harder as a coach. So, I mean, why stop here? So just being able to go through everything I have gone through and I guess 
my work ethic alone and who I am and what I'm about as a person. And I, I, I want to work hard I, and I want to work hard at everything I do because I want, I'm, I'm, I'm my toughest critic. And uh, just to be able to get out there and, and help and give back to everybody, but also work hard for everybody. Um, I think that's one of the, I guess, strengths in, in who I am as a person and uh, I guess in my coaching style as well. Uh, Coach, I've, I've been around long enough to have, uh, you know, covered the United Hockey League. And of course, I saw you play some with Flint and Bloomington and of course, a lot of tough customers back in that league. And I remember talking with guys like uh, like Andre Waugh. He was in the IHL and and Jeff Worlton, the guys like this, super nice guys off the ice. And we used to kind of agree that, you know, the enforcers were always so nice off the ice because they got all their aggression out during the games. I mean, have you found that yourself? I mean, is that why uh, so many tough guys are affable off the ice and even go on to be coaches? It's, it's funny, uh, but yeah, I guess I guess so. You let the aggression on uh, on the ice. For me, I always call it controlled aggression. Right? It's about just controlling yourself and not going out there and going wild. But uh, at the end of the day, we're out there doing it for the team. It's team first, and it depends on the guy's mentality. But it's, it's about it's a team first mentality, and I, and I, and that's what I like to live by. And a lot of the fighters that are out there have that same mentality. You know, is is a team first mentality. And the fact that you have the appreciation for your team and you do what you do for your team. The fans appreciate that. And when they appreciate that, you know, that's at the end of the day, like I tell my players, the fans are the ones who make you who you are. And we know you're a hockey player, but for the popularity and the fan favorites, it's the fans because without them, you're just another hockey player. And appreciate them because they appreciate you and, and be a role model because you're out there and you got a lot of young kids aspiring to be you. And we're at this level, it's a little different from the NHL as we're a little bit more accessible to the public as opposed to the NHL. And you have younger kids that are looking up to you because they see you more intimately, I guess, if you want to say closer up and can maybe come and shake your hand and ask you for an autograph where at the higher levels, it's a little bit hard due to security reasons. So, you know, you have a lot more of an impact on, on younger kids and your families than, than you realize. So I tell our guys to be upstanding citizens and, and, and make sure that you appreciate the fans out there because again, they're, they're the ones that, that help support you and make you who you are. You played in a lot of leagues. I mean, ECHL, AHL, you got close to the NHL. Um, there's probably not much you haven't seen, you know, whether it's midseason trades or guys going down to injuries, guys going to Europe, visa problems, all these things that you have to deal with as a coach of the ECHL. So I would imagine those experiences at the pro level probably prepared you pretty well for this. Well, that's 100%. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. For a lot of coaches that are, are coaching on the pro levels and, and, and anywhere else, uh, to be to go what I've gone through, being traded, uh, going to training camps, being cut, uh, you know, just to speak to some players so they understand. Like, there's one time I was traded, I think, four times, three, four times in one year. Oh. And for players to understand, they're going through this sometimes for the first time ever. And how do they deal with it? How do they cope with it? And my past experiences allows me the, the ability to connect with the players and share that with them and let allow them to understand that, Hey, I understand what you've been through and this is how I dealt with it and help them cope. You know, it's again, sometimes they may be going through something, like I said, for the first time and they don't know how to deal with it and they don't know who to talk to or how to talk to about it or how to approach it. But uh, being, I guess, from my past and then being able to share that same I guess, you know, sentiment with them or the same feeling that, Hey, I understand I was cut once and, you know, I felt really shook up. It, it, you connect with the players and, and you, you build that trust and that relationship with them. And I think that's key. Uh, when, the minute you do that, 
you know, it's it, it allows them to feel a bit more relaxed. And sometimes that, that that's the mental uh, uh, part of the game that a lot of people don't realize that comes into play. It's not about X's and O's. It's about connecting with your players. You know, it's one of the only two black head coaches in pro hockey, one of the only two, along with Kalamazoo Wings uh, head coach Joel Martin. I'm curious what your thoughts are on the current state of hockey culture with regards to diversity and equity. I feel it's getting better. Um, again, you, you, nothing's going to come that quick. You know, it's going to take a lot of work, a lot of time. But for sure, I mean, the steps that it has made in the past five years, you know, it could be a positive, could be a negative, but there has been steps made and things that have come to light and have opened the doors, I guess, to more of the conversations to be had. It's, it's, it's broadened the horizons of everybody in the hockey world. And now we're opening up not just to, to people of color, but every, every race, every uh, sex, you know, there's a lot of female coaches now that are, are coming out. They've been out there before, but now they're being recognized more. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's other coaches of, of different ethnicity that are out there as well too. And they're all being recognized. The NHL coaches association has put together a BIPOC program, which allows coaches of every, every color, every ethnic race, sex doesn't matter just to be able to connect with each other and build and build and establish um, those relationships and those connections. So it's growing definitely. And, you know, the NHL is doing the best it can as well too, to help things grow. So, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to the growth of it and, and whatever help they need, I'm, I'm more than welcome. Do you believe the NHL should have an equivalent to the NFL's Rooney rule? And for those unaware, the Rooney rule dictates that an NFL team must interview at least one uh, candidate who's a visible minority when conducting head coaching interviews. Do you think the NHL should introduce something like that? That's a that's a weird subject to say because you can look at it two different ways. Um, sure. Yeah, you could say for sure because you want everybody to get an equal opportunity to get looked at. Yes, and, and I agree with that one. And I agree with people getting looked at because they're good at the job. You know, I just, to me, I don't want to be looked at as a black head coach. I want to be totally. looked at, I want to look at as a head coach who happens to be black and it's, is that's what it is. And I, and I get the job because I can do a good job and I am, and I'm a good coach. Um, you know, when you get to the, the so-called Rooney rule, what they talk about, it, again, it, it, it opens the door for a lot of, 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 I guess you want to say scrutiny. Because people could say, okay, I'm going to interview this guy, even though you know he's not right for the job, but you're checking your box. Right. So what you're doing now is, in my eyes, is you're setting everybody back instead of let's step forward. You so know? then uh, what I'm curious about, Jason, is because I remember reading that uh, I think it was Chicago, the Blackhawks. I can't remember, but there was basically this thing where what a, a team was evaluating their their candidates. They basically took each profile and eliminated the name, the face, the gender, whatever, just had had them by a number is that kind of where you think we should go in terms of with a candidate or or still is that kind of in line with, with what you last said well everyone everyone can have a different method um sure but what i've really learned is one do the job you can two be a great person and yeah. three establish good relationships and i think that's to me that's the key because at the end of the day relationships are going to help open the door to get you into jobs or even get an opportunity to get looked at for certain jobs and it's that old, it's a old saying is it's, it's who, you know, over what, you know, and that's what we're trying to get away from, as they talked about before the, the boys club. And, yeah. but it doesn't matter what, what, uh, which way you, you slice the cake. If you're going to hire somebody for a job, a lot of the times the person who you have a better relationship with is the one that you're going to put on top of the pile. And it, it is what it is because a lot of guys and coaches that are out there having their jobs right now are, are looking for that, that, level of comfort in 
they know that the person that they're bringing in is going to have their back and support them no matter what. And th that's tough to come by. It's very hard to come by. And it it's that trust and relationship you're building in because you want that assistant coach or, or whoever it is that you're bringing in with you to share the same message that you're sharing, relay the same message and have your back no matter what. And again, a lot of times the only person that you know is going to do that is somebody that you're comfortable with or have a relationship with. Coach, uh, one of your players in Cincinnati, defenseman Jalen Smerick, he's had an incredible season. He's got 11 goals, 50 points in 53 games. He's been a monster on the power play. He's also played 10 games in the AHL with San Jose. He's only 26, so I would think he's got to be firmly on the AHL radar for next year. Last year, uh, he suffered a, a, a terrible racist taunt while playing in the Ukrainian league, something that, you know, I was was not punished enough how did you two connect on him coming and playing for Cincinnati this year and what have you seen from him as a player this season well our connection uh, stems way back from uh, I guess my he's from around that Detroit Flint area and obviously I played there but uh where we really connected was through the 2018 all-star game uh where Matt Thomas was our head coach here and he was he was selected to the all-star game that year and I was I went with him in Toledo and that's where we happened to run into uh, Jalen Samaric, along with uh, Dejan Mingo, was another guy that was there as well too. So, um, you know, we connected from there, and 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 we've always stayed in touch. And when that unfortunate incident happened uh, the year before, like I was talking to him about coming to play, but he said he wanted to go to Europe and see what it's about. I said, no problem, you do what you need to do. You know, I'm never going to tell players what they what they shouldn't shouldn't do. They got to make those choices on their own. But again, we've always stayed in contact. And when that happened, it, I was I think I was one of the first phone calls he made, and I was in the middle of the night. Uh, he was crying. He was upset. And it's just a reassurance of saying, hey, it's not your fault. Um, you know, you, you keep your head high. You didn't do anything wrong. And, you know, it's, just, it's unfortunate the way they handle things. You know, and, 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 and I felt for him because the league didn't handle it correctly at all and allowed the player just to get a smack on the wrist. Like, again, players here get, get that same type of smack on the wrist for, for flipping a puck into the stands. You know what I mean? By accident or, you know what I mean? Or, or something of that nature. So um, then when we connected from that point after that, it was just about talking and letting him know that he has the ability to now come and play back in North America, one with a coach that understands him as a person um, and, and, and not just the fact that, Oh, we're both uh, people of color. I mean, that's, that happened to be a real bonus of it, but just understand the kind of person he was because we've established that relationship and, and things that he has going on in his life that, you know, I've been able to connect with him and, and help him navigate through. So again, it's, it's a, there's a real saying that, that really stuck with me and it's really resonated with me is that uh, players are loyal to people and not teams. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that. I'm going to remember that one. Um, so uh, Cincinnati, let's talk a little bit about your team. Uh, you guys have won the Central Division regular season championship this year. Uh, you are our team of the week. You are going to play the Fort Wayne Comets in the first round, best of seven series. Uh, that is an underrated rivalry in the ECHL. People always talk about uh, Fort Wayne Toledo and maybe Cincinnati Toledo, maybe Cincinnati Indianapolis. But through the years, I've done a lot of stories about how this is a rivalry that uh, probably people don't talk about enough this year. Uh, there's been a real, uh, in my opinion, quantum leap in your game from this season compared to last year. Um, what did you guys do as a team to take this to the next level? 
uh, honestly, it's just about reestablishing our, our character and our culture and and structure. Um, the, the previous years is, is the previous year, I guess, you know, you kind of inherited a team that was put together. And I when I got the job, it was more or less pretty much in September. Um, and as you know, coaches in this league, we get out, we start recruiting from some from now or or through the whole summer. So when the team was already put together, it's put together to the makeup of what we what we were somewhat looking for at the time um, as, as a staff. But uh, and then Matt Thomas got the job in Providence and the nice took over. But going into this year, I knew I knew the kind of players and personnel that I was looking for. And for me, it's, it's about the person first. You really want that quality person. Uh, you know, we at the end of the day, we, like, we want good players, but we want great people. And we have to find those people first. And when you do that, you're going to be able to find uh, the, the culture and help uh, solidify and build the, the, the strong culture that you want as a unit, as a team. And I think that's one thing that's been able to help us uh, through the season and having, you know, good leadership. And that's that's been the key too. Uh, you know, Justin Vive is, has been our, our, our captain uh, since I've been here. And it was during the locker year, he took a stint and went over to Fort Wayne and, and won a championship over there. So, I mean, the, the fans in Fort Wayne know what he's all about and know what he that he knows what it takes as well because he's been through it. And having Louis Caparuso, another veteran in our lineup, who's been able to travel to Europe and play in Europe and put up some good numbers there. It's just to have these, these elder statesmen, I guess, if you want to talk about that, just help change the game and, and, and change the narrative of what it was before. And and create that culture and strengthen that culture and I think that's been our strength and, and being able to uh, to string along a lot of wins here and there and but at the end of the day have some consistency to our game. Uh, you guys have had uh, uh, several uh, AHL NHL prospects this year. Uh, I'll name a few: Beck Warm, Zach Berzola, Andrew Nielsen, Josh Basolt. Uh, Yushiano Hirano. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the development of these guys, particularly the Rochester Buffalo players you've had this year? Yeah, we've had, a, obviously they're our affiliates, so we've had a, quite a few players in uh, Josh, uh, sorry, Josh Basalt, um, Zach Brazola, we've had, we've had uh, Beck Warm, I mean, Matej Picard, uh, just, you know, just to name a few, Cohen Olaszewski. You know, these guys have all come down here and been able to find another level of their game where at the American League, they, uh, they they wouldn't be able to do that. They wouldn't be able to do that, you know, and um, they, they were, they'd be able to play minimal roles, minimal minutes. But now they're down here. It's allowing them to explore their game more, do things more than what they would do at the, at the next level. And the ability knowing that they're going to make mistakes and having the patience for it is is what I think – for myself, it's it's key because I know they're going to make mistakes. That's why they're here. But if they don't learn from these mistakes, they're never going to survive at the next level. And that's ultimately where they want to go. So, again, they all come down here and they've all worked hard. And there's been no uh, hanging of the heads or moping the fact that they haven't uh, had an opportunity to go up as often. And, again, it's just about work ethic and sitting down and going through video with them all and, and dialing them in. And it's funny as it is, but here we are. And every one of them has had an opportunity to go up. And I have – three of them up in, in Rochester as we speak, um, you know, and then go to Hirano's Hirano was up in Abbotsford and, uh, and just got back Nielsen who's been, uh, we traded for and has been bouncing on a few different uh, American league teams most of the year here. So um, again, we're all about development and it's about for the players. We want to let them know we're, we're here for them first. And sometimes if it's about a player going up and our team being short, 
it is what it is, you know, because at the end of the day, it's their goal of what they want to achieve. And you want to help them achieve their goals. I know what it was like as a player for myself, and I want to do the same for them. Last year, you guys had uh, a kind of wild, exciting playoff series with Toledo. Uh, you guys fell in game seven. Uh, Michael Hauser had been called up prior to that game, so you didn't have your number one guy. Yeah. Uh, what lessons did you take away from that series? And I, I want to note, this year, you've got two two number one goalies, right, with uh, Beck Warham and Mark Sinclair. So even if somebody were to get called up, I think you're probably good. But did you take any lessons away from what happened last year? Uh, yeah, I did. And again, again, when things happen, as I said earlier, it's about learning from them. And when you learn from them, you'll, you hopefully don't get put in that situation again. And uh, like last year, I brought in Mark Sinclair for a quick stint, and then I brought him back this year. And he's literally taken a bull by the horns, and he's steamrolled his way into – into our, into as the fans say, into our hearts. <laughs> um, you know, backstopping some great performances for us, along with back warm. So uh, we've been very fortunate that way with that. But learning from the previous years, knowing that our affiliates, American League doesn't matter. Our league's about development, and when they need players, they're going to come calling, and you have to let them go. You have to let the players go. So it's about making sure that we have the right guys in place for that type of situation when it does happen. And then it, when it does happen, you can replace them. And uh, maybe not extent, but enough to, to, if you want to say, put a bandaid on it and, and weather the storm until we get them back. And for me, it's about getting these guys playing as often as possible, especially earlier in the season, so that when the guys get called up, that they're prepared and they're not going to be going in there playing a situation that maybe they've never played all season long. Good stuff, Jason. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. We, uh, Hope to see you one more time and, and all the best the rest of the way. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, guys. All right. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Jason for joining the show. Just realize this. If he's in Fort Wayne, do you ever have time to get the, the visiting team or, or probably not? Because like, what's your deadline usually an hour after? So in an ideal world, I sure. would. But let's let's be honest. In 2023, with newspaper deadlines, it's pretty rare that that happens. There used to be a time where maybe not every game, but every big game, I would go over to the visiting locker room. So now, kind of situational, but being honest, because of deadlines and well, things yeah. like that. But it's funny that you asked that, because I had a situation come up just last week. Uh, Fort Wayne was playing the Indy Fuel, and yeah. there were back-to-back games, and there was a lot of... A lot of heatedness in this game. Uh, uh, the first night, Indy knocked out three players with questionable hits. There were no you know, penalties were called on one of the three, no suspensions. And then they play the next night. It's a really dirty game, the whole thing. So I'm writing from the Fort Wayne perspective. You know, this was controversial, all this stuff. And I had a player um, actually reach out to me after the game. And he was like, basically do you ever interview the opposing team and i'm like when i can but use the opportunity to connect with him as he was on the bus going back to indianapolis uh i wish i could do it more unfortunately that's journalism right now we just don't have did you interview interview the player i did yeah like named player yeah Mm -hmm. yeah it was alex weedman of indy so you know i mean i loved it and that's what i told him i'm like i wish i did if you would love like to say something, I'd love to talk to you. And so we, we chatted a little bit, um, you know, by text while he was, was on the bus, but 
Uh, as an example, with this series, like I've asked, you know, what's the availability going to be like at Cincinnati? Because they'll probably have a press conference or something like that that I could, you know, stick my head into. But for our purposes, again, just because of a deadline, I have to prioritize totally. the team I cover. But 15 years ago, you had more space, you had more time. And absolutely, I was in both locker rooms talking to both teams. And How I, far apart each locker room? Because I, I got to tell you, I get all my calories from running from the home dressing room <laughs> at Scotiabank to the away one. Well, it's a rotunda, so you have to kind of, oh yeah, you know, circumnavigate it. But uh, you know, it's it's sixty seconds if I'm walking bris- briskly to get over there. But we don't have the infrastructure, so you know, it's not like there's some media relations person stationed down there to help me out. I got to kind of knock on the door and yeah. hope somebody <laughs> sticks their head out and is willing to, to let me in. It, it's a different world right now. Absolutely. Let's talk about our friend Pete MacArthur, head coach of the Adirondack Thunder. Shall we so, yes, I mean, look, the Adirondack Thunder makes it into the Kelly Cup playoffs on the last day of the regular season. They will play the Newfoundland Growlers. And let me tell you, this is one of the strangest situations to clinch a playoff spot that I have seen at this level. Want to mention this record before we get into that. The Thunder closed the season on a 14-6-4 run. I picked that date because it coincides when Pete MacArthur was on this show and said one of the funniest lines of the show where he said their team was terrible in overtime, even though he played in three ice. I know you're going to ask me what the record is since then. I didn't look it up, but I should do that. Uh, But they really improved. We are clearly the good luck charms and they are in the North Division semifinals. So how did they get there? Things were undecided going into Sunday's final game, and they looked dire at home in Glens Falls, New York. The Thunder was down 3-1 to one to the Worcester Railers midway through the second period. And then what happened? Patrick Grasso scored. Then he scored again on the power play. And then, so here's the situation. It's a tied game in the third period, but Worcester had to win in regulation to keep Adirondack out of the playoffs because the first tiebreaker in the ECHL is regulation wins. It's not head-to-head or something like that. It is regulation wins. I I actually sort of love it because I hate the shootout above almost all things. Uh, I just always have to find that column there. So because of that, Worcester had to win in regulation. So what did they do? They pull the goalie and Adirondack, which has come back from two goals down, scores an empty net goal late in the third period. It was Brady Florent who scored the goal to get them into the playoffs. So getting into the playoffs on an empty net goal. I've never seen that before. We have a short clip of it. Let's show that. And uh, lots come of fun. Down to this. they lost I, I, I like that he's like it was impossible in december it was impossible in january and then they went on chn on the e and everything turned around yeah what's his record since they came on 
Uh, that's what I said. So they're 14, 6, and 4, which for a fourth place team is pretty good close in a very difficult division. But You're welcome, Adirondack. You're welcome. Some, something that's standing out to me about this, if you were to go back and listen to that episode, we talked to Pete MacArthur about what it's like playing in Glens Falls and how that city, which is a historic hockey city, how it can erupt when things go right. I mean, look at that atmosphere. That was it, awesome. It, I was sitting at home, I'm like watching that. I'm like, this is awesome. This is this is Adirondack hockey that I remember from growing up. And that's what we talked to him about. He's like, this city can explode. We just got to get good. Didn't Glen Falls have an AHL team? Absolutely. And what the uh, when I was young, that was was that 1895? Yes, exactly. I mean, when I was young, <laughs> when Barry Melrose had shorter hair, he was the coach of the Adirondack Red Wings and they so they had big prospects at that time and yeah. the funny funny little connection is so little Justin's in middle school their secondary affiliate was Fort Wayne so oh, I see. Okay. some of the guys but I, they were both triple a level so it was AHL and the, and the old IHL oh oh the old God. IHL which I will defend as being at that time on the right. a same level as the AHL but you were not sending your main guys there. So uh, the most famous example I could think of was a, was Corey Koser, was a I believe a first round draft pick, and they had sort of given up on him a little bit, and so they they sent him to Fort Wayne instead of Adirondack, and Fort Wayne ends up winning the championship in 1993, which is widely regarded, believe it or not, as maybe the most famous championship in minor league hockey because they knocked off the San Diego Gulls which was considered the best team in the world outside of the NHL. If you were to look it up sometime, look up the 1992-93 San Diego Gulls roster and look at the stats. You will not believe what you're looking at. And so Fort Wayne with this team of you know, vagabonds and people that had been given up on like Corey Koser, they won the cup that year and they went undefeated throughout the whole playoffs. It's a very famous championship. So that answers your question about Adirondack. I have given you some homework to do, but yeah. I want to talk a little bit about Patrick Grasso, who I said had two key goals in that comeback uh, victory. He is our prospect of the week. He is a 26-year-old center. He had 37 goals this season, which was tied for fifth in the ECHL and 59 points in 64 games. Now, he's on an ECHL contract this year, but I think he will be back in the AHL next year. He played nine AHL games this year, five with Utica and four with Cleveland. Uh, he had a nice college career at New Hampshire. So why do I like him aside from just the pure goal scoring? He has a nose for knowing when it's time to come up big. Uh, he's not a big player, five foot seven, 170 pounds. He's got an incredible shot. And for a guy that small, he makes a living in and around the slot. And he forced that decisive game last weekend with, uh, I think it was two goals the night before, uh, also against Worcester. And he was doing it with a full cage because the week before, also against Worcester, he got beaten up so badly that you know they weren't even sure he was going to be able to play. So Patrick Grasso, a really nice player. I think he went into some real Adirondack lore excuse me, with what he did last weekend. So keep an eye on him, especially as we look forward to next season, because I think he'll be back in the AHL. Let's go to Justin Cohn's ECHL playoff picks. Be sure to roast Justin when these all inevitably fail, and uh, they all are the inverse of what he predicts. 
let's just get through it. Let's go. Let's start at home with Fort Wayne. Give me, well, give me your your prediction. Well, um, we'll speed we'll speed through these, but I do want to say something right up, up front because you're right. I've set myself up for potential failure because I have not picked the team that most of the universe is expecting to win it. That is the Idaho Steelheads that set all sorts of records during the regular season. But okay, I feel well. I, I feel a little bit vindicated as we record this show because Idaho lost game one of the playoffs to the Utah Grizzlies, which was there very unexpected. So we'll speed through these. We'll start with the Central Division semifinals with the Cincinnati Cyclones and the Fort Wayne Comets. I have picked the Cyclones to win in six games. The quick hit on that is Cincinnati has overwhelming talent. They have been on a tear 24 of their last 27 games, and Fort Wayne has been very inconsistent this season. Hard to trust them uh, to pull the upside, but I think they will give it uh, a, a good show in that series. The other Central Division series, uh, Toledo Walleye versus the Indy Fuel. I'm picking the Walleye 4-1 to one in that series. I do like the Fuel, but the Walleye is overwhelming in talent. They actually probably are more formidable than Cincinnati, in my opinion. And as much as I like Indy, I don't think they have the goaltending to hold up while Toledo has John Lefferman and Sebastian Cosa. In the Mountain Division finals, excuse me, Mountain Division semifinals, Idaho versus Utah. I actually picked Idaho to sweep. I'm already wrong on that. So <laughs> I'm going to pick them to win in five games. I just think they are too overwhelming at every facet of the game, particularly right. defensively. Uh, I would It would be the all-time shock in the ECHL if they lost that first-round series. The other series in the division is the Allen Americans versus the Kansas City Mavericks. We've talked about Allen on the show before. They are offensively unbelievable. Hank Crone, Jack Combs, Liam Finley, Colton Hargrove, and so on. Chad Costello has done a nice job with that team. Uh, I don't see Kansas City having much of a chance here. Uh, but Allen, really good in transition. But the one thing you have to keep in mind, they take a lot of penalties. So if you can keep them in the box, that can cause some problems. South Division semifinals, unbelievable series here. South Carolina Stingrays playing the uh, defending champion Florida Everblades. I have this as a seven-game series with the Stingrays winning. Uh, you know I love their goaltending, Clay Stevenson and Tyler Wall. They are stacked from top to bottom. The other uh, South Division series is Jacksonville versus Greenville. Tough one. I have the Swamp Rabbits winning also in seven. Strange thing about this series. Both these teams are very, very good at home, except for when they play each other. When they play each other, it's almost always the road team that wins. So I guess we have to throw home ice advantage out of the equation here. And that's what I did in picking the Swamp Rabbits. And in the North Division, the Reading Royals versus the Maine Mariners. I got the Royals 4-2, to two, a team we've talked about a lot. Uh, yeah. Keep an eye on Charlie Gerard and Mason Millman. And the Newfoundland Growlers versus the Adirondack Thunder. I love the Thunder and how they got in. Newfoundland is overwhelming. So I have Newfoundland winning in five. We'll quickly move on to the second round. Central Division Finals, Cincinnati versus Toledo. I have the Walleye in six. This is going to be a great, brutal matchup. But ultimately, uh, I think Toledo is a more disciplined team, and they're going to be tough to knock out. In the Mountain Division Finals, this is where uh, it gets interesting. Allen playing Idaho, in my opinion. Here's the thing. I would pick Allen to upset just about any other team, but they were 
0-8 during the regular season against Idaho. So I have to go with the Steelheads winning in six. In the South Division Finals, South Carolina versus Greenville. That is a big rivalry. I'm picking the Stingrays to win in seven. Those teams split the 10-game regular season series, so it could be a pick but I really like South Carolina. Moving on to the North Division Finals, Reading versus Newfoundland. I'm picking an upset here. I got the Royals winning in six. They know how to beat Newfoundland. They've done it late in the season. They've done it up in Newfoundland where there's a big home ice advantage. And I just like the roster and keep an eye on Pat Nagel in goal for Reading. He's got tons of experience. He's been to a finals. I feel like his, it's his year to really make a run at this again. Moving on to the conference finals in the West. And this is probably where I'm going to shock people. I have the Toledo Walleye beating the Idaho Steelheads in wow. seven. Why did I pick that? Idaho, as dominant as it has been, they have uh, had a very easy schedule, almost all in-division games. They have yet to face anybody like Toledo, which has the goaltending, which has the discipline. Uh, there are a lot of things I like it about them. They've got Brandon Hawkins. So I'm picking the Walleye in seven in the Eastern Conference Files. Reading Royals versus the South Carolina Stingrays. If Reading had home ice advantage, I might feel differently about this, but I like the Stingrays goaltending and their forwards, so I'm going Stingrays in seven. So that would set up, if you trust me, a Kelly Cup Finals between this Toledo Walleye, again, they've been there a couple times in the last few years, and the South Carolina Stingrays. I am picking the South Carolina Stingrays to win the Kelly Cup in six games. Uh, they, have, they would have home ice advantage, uh, I'm sorry, excuse me. Toledo would have home ice advantage. Their coach, Dan Watson, is more experienced. South Carolina is coached by one of his former players, Brendan Kodak. But I just like top to bottom South Carolina. One of the reasons is they, I'm convinced now, come from the tougher division. So I think they're more battle-tested. Uh, I'm a little not wild about them having to win three seven-game series, but I think they can do it. And here's the biggest thing. These teams finally met last month. It was so clear, and that night, that South Carolina was a better team. They won at Toledo. They made some savvy additions down the stretch, like Max Max Hummets, who had been with Kalamazoo. They've got some top-line AHL-level players, like Bear Hughes, Josh Wilkins. I love their goaltending, and um, I think that they are going to pull it off, and so I'm picking the the Stingrays to win the Kelly Cup. You could have done one round, but now what's going to have to happen is next round, you have to make new predictions on the one you screwed up. Well, so that's, least... that's the problem when you do it this way. It's like, do you just pick one round and then have people keep coming back? I like to just put the board out there like a bracket. I kind of like it because, it, it, yeah, it's a bracket. I, I I get that more. It's it's more because then if you do get a couple of those right, you got this as a little bit of evidence in your favor. The the big takeaway here, though, is, you know, I, I – I, I don't begrudge everybody for picking Idaho. Of course, that's the easy pick. And maybe I was just eager to pick an upset and I was trying to find some excuse to. But I do think there's legitimacy in Idaho when they meet whoever comes out of the Central Division. That is going to be a whole level higher of hockey than they've seen this year. So it would not shock me if Cincinnati gave them a run, even if Fort Wayne gave them a run. Sure. Uh, but Idaho is going to have a real test once they get out of the second round. Agreed. And then where will we be next week on the ECHL playoffs? Where will we be approximately? 
Oh, we'll still be midway through the first round. Uh, so they're going to kick it off this weekend. Some teams started on Wednesday. Most teams are starting on Friday. Of course, they try to play two games at right. home on the weekend. So we'll be around games three and four of the first round next week. Excellent. All right. Well, until then, we'll see you next week.